Find out what's on in our city on ORFM's Dunedin Community Notice Board. Go to oar.org.nz and look for the link. You're one click away from up-to-date community event listings and you can post your own notices free of charge. This programme was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Hello and welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life, the programme that takes wellbeing research off the page and into our lives. I'm Dr Denise Quinlan and today we're talking about resilience, our ability to cope with challenge and bounce back from adversity. The field of resilience looks at what helps us navigate life's ups and downs and what gets in the way of us coping in the face of adversity. We'll be talking about how resilience can help overcome the effect of childhood adversity, but also for adults, how it can help us cope with the daily hassles and frustrations, and also to adapt to major adversity or disasters, and the fact that resilience also helps us extend ourselves to take on new challenges. We'll discuss strategies that build our resilience and learn why relationships are important resilience assets. My guest today is Lucy Hone from Christchurch, my colleague and co-director at the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience. Resilience is an area that Lucy has considerable personal and professional experience in. Having studied resilience in an academic setting, she then got to apply her knowledge practically through the years of the Christchurch earthquakes, and then tragically after the death of her beloved daughter Abby in 2014. Lucy's book, What Abby Taught Us, documents the strategies that she found most helpful. Lucy could talk to us about resilience for days, and we don't have much time, so let's get started. Lucy, welcome to Bringing Wellbeing to Life. It's great to have you here. Yora, hello, Denise. It's great to be with you today. So to start us off, really, what is it? What is resilience and why does it matter? Really, resilience comes down to navigating, steering through adversity, challenge and change in our daily lives and across the lifespan. But also, I think it's important to say it's also part of learning about yourself um, and how you operate. So it's about navigating and learning from life experience. It's about equipping people in their everyday lives to have those resources and tools at their disposal so that they can help themselves steer and navigate through life's challenges, you know, in the heat of the moment, but also those, you know, and the big challenges in life. And I know, Lucy, one of the things that that I often end up talking to people about is this idea that, um, yeah, we, we display resilience during times of great adversity, but really we build it every day um, in, in lots of small ways where we're building our resilience toolkit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and actually, so I've been thinking recently about what is well-being and what is resilience and what is the relationship between those two concepts as well. Well-being is feeling good and functioning well. So that's what we're aiming for. And to me, resilience comes into play when something threatens your feeling good and functioning well. So it's the ways of thinking and acting that enable you to maintain that ability um, to feel good and function well, whatever happens to you. So, and, it, and that's not to say that we feel good and function well all the time, um, 
But resilience is about accepting that you have those crappy days and shitty times in life and how do you keep going, you know, getting up in the morning and going to work and getting through the day when life is tough. And I think those, yeah, we understand that there are definitely strategies that can really help. Mm -hmm. Um, And you and I know that I've had to use those strategies you know, in my own life, I find myself nowadays in this really ironic position that I went to the University of Pennsylvania and trained in um, the skills and tools of resilience. You know, we went through the academic research and that's where I got my training. And then I had applied um, that knowledge in Christchurch, New Zealand, where we live, in that post-quake environment where we had a whole series of devastating earthquakes between 2011 and 2013, and again in another part of New Zealand last year. And so I've applied this knowledge in a professional capacity. Um, I've done the academic training. And then in 2014, our family were tested in um, terribly personal circumstances, tragically, where um, our wee 12-year-old dear girl, Abby, hopped in the car with her best friend to go on a long weekend trip, one public holiday back on Queen's birthday, 2014. And um, it was a last-minute decision, and um, Abby, her best friend Ella, and Sally, who was Ella's mum, who was also in the car, and a really good friend of mine, the three of them were killed on that journey down there. And so I have had to apply all of that training and my understanding of resilience to our my own life, you know, in really personal circumstances. Um, bereavement is known, parental bereavement is known to be the worst form of bereavement. And I kind of had my doubts about some of these strategies when Abby died. Um, and, and yet living through the last four years has really made me realise just how powerful the mind is And even when we're grieving, these strategies that I picked up from the University of Pennsylvania and all my years of research since really have made the difference to enabling us to survive. Um, You know, we've learned that you can grieve and live simultaneously. (laughs) Not pretty. It's been incredibly important and encouraging I think to people to realize that yeah these aren't just uh, for sunny weather strategies that they have been tried and tested in the toughest times a person can face Um, and you've shared a lot of these strategies in your book uh, what Abby taught us Um, now you do you want to share what some of the strategies that were most important for you were two of the initial things were um, we were explicitly taught at Penn that struggle and suffering is a normal part of life. And I think for Trevor and I, that really made a difference to us in that we never, we never felt like, oh, how could this happen to us? You know, why us? Because actually what we know is that trauma, challenge, difficulty, adversity, whatever you want to call it, you know, all the the crappy things in life, they don't discriminate and they happen to all of us people like you and people like me. And so um, that stopped us from trying to unravel and waste any of our limited resources 
on why it had happened and we chose to focus our attention purely on what we could do to survive this tragedy. And I know from um, my training and research that that is quite a typical, what we would call a resilient response in that resilient people are really good at focusing their attention on the things that they can change and accepting somehow, and I'm not saying it's easy, but accepting the things that they can't change. Mm. So for us that was, you know, accepting that she'd gone as terrible and obviously terrible as it was, but instead of wasting emotional energy um, and physical energy on on worrying about how that had happened, it really made us think um, we've got to um, focus all our attention on, on, on the good as well and, we were really lucky to have um, Ed and Paddy, her two brothers, still in our lives, and we have each other, Trevor and I, and, you know, really we worked hard to focus all our attention on that. And so, um, as you know, that is a major cognitive, you know, way of thinking skill that is absolutely at the core of resilience. And Lucy, you had a sentence that I remember you saying popped into your head very soon after Abby's death that kind of stayed with you and became a guiding principle. Yeah, and that was um, just don't lose what you have to what you've lost. Um, uh, Yeah, and that has been exactly that, a guiding principle. Um, and, And it really sort of focuses me on, you know, what are you hoping for now, which was actually another um strategy that I picked up when we did our masters at um at the University of Pennsylvania where they were talking about actually even in the direst circumstances um there is always hope so I'm not hoping for her to you know come back from the dead and I'm not hoping for a different outcome but it has enabled me if I ask myself what am I hoping for now which was what um, Dr. Chris Stutner, one of the researchers in this field, had suggested. What I'm hoping for now is um, that our family can um, stay together and survive this tragedy, um, avoid um, really clinical mental illness. You know, we were told right at the beginning that we were now key candidates for divorce, family estrangement, and um, and mental illness and I remember thinking wow you know I thought our life was already pretty crap um and and that has been good for me to have that uh, knowing what I'm hoping for has been again it's it's um kind of as you as you say a sort of a guiding principle yeah yeah mm-hmm. and um and so you know, you've written about so many practical strategies, Lucy, that people can use on a daily basis. And I know for you, part of that, the, part of that was not wanting to be passive and going into kind of a tunnel for several years. Um, and tell us about some of those strategies. Um, yeah, well, I think actually that the biggest strategy is what you've just said, is that actually I wanted to be active of active participant in my grief mm-hmm. process being told what w- was going to happen to us and how we were going to feel was only helpful to a limited extent and actually what i wanted to know was you know what we could do and so i tried all these different things and and we've yeah we've found one of the most useful strategies actually that 
I found was just asking myself all the time, you know, is what I'm doing now helping or harming me in my bid to survive this tragedy, to be able to continue to mainly function? That was really my goal in the aftermath. And, um, and it was just so useful. And actually, people often, people even stop me in the street nowadays and say, you're helping or harming thing has just changed my life. It's just such a practical strategy. When we talk about why resilience matters, you've just given us, you know, the, the, the resilience with a capital R, the, the resilience in, in one of the most challenging times a human being can face. There are lots of other occasions and opportunities to use resilience. Can you talk a bit more about those? Yeah, and I think that makes a really good point, important point for people to understand about resilience. And that is that we humans use our capacity for resilience in four ways. So firstly, we use our resilience to enable us to overcome obstacles from childhood. So whether that is whatever kind of adversity that is, whether that's poverty or emotional neglect or physical abuse, Um, So that's the first way we use resilience. We also, all of us use our resilient thinking, our capacity for resilience on a daily basis to get through life's daily stresses and struggles. So whether that's because you might work in a toxic environment or you've got some hideous boss that gives you horrible, unrealistic deadlines or the printer breaks on you or someone nicks your parking space or um, you get cut up at, you know, the, some, some kind of road rage moment. It's our ability to kind of rationalise that, slow down and think resiliently that enables us not to succumb to road rage and to actually completely fly off the handle. So to um, regulate and control, regulate our emotions, to control our impulses in that moment. And that is another really great example of how humans use their resilience. So that's the second one. The third one is what you and I were talking about earlier on. That's all the big things in life. It is our resilience that enables us to adapt to life's big changes and challenges Those first three are reactive, um, and the last one is proactive. So it's um, the first three about how we respond to events that happen to us. But the last one is proactive, meaning it's really we use our resilience to enable, it's the thing that enables us to learn and reach out and take on new challenges. So really whether that is talking to a new colleague at work, whether it is making yourself grapple with some kind of new software or learning a new language, visiting a new place, taking on some kind of new challenge. And so that, um, we'd say, those are the four uses of resilience, the four ways we use it throughout our lifetime as humans. It's funny, as you're talking, I'm just thinking about... um you know, we know we talk about uh, relationships being core to resilience, mm-hmm. and I realise that um, the the important nurturing relationships in my life have often felt like a nest mm-hmm. or a, a nest that it was safe for me to fly from, mm-hmm. or a springboard from which I could go out into the world. And having those um, safe, nurturing relationships makes me feel braver to go out and do stuff. But what if you don't have them? Yeah, and that's why they are part of resilience. That, Absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and actually, Denise, what we know is that um, 
particularly for young people who haven't got that safe nest, I, I love your image of a nest, then what the research shows is that those people who have managed to endure um, child, childhood hardship and have navigated that successfully and gone on to live really um, fruitful lives, normally they've found even just one person mm. in their lives who is willing to be there for them, who is supportive, reliable, constant, um, and has yeah, shown them a different path. One of the things um, that people often talk about when we, when we come to talk about resilience is this idea of, is there a resilient personality? Do you just, you know, are you just born one of the lucky ones or can we develop it? So I think that's um, all good news there is that no, you, um, we don't really, the research um, suggests that there isn't a resilient type or a non-resilient type that actually this capacity for resilience resides within us all. Um, so that's the good news. And it, because it requires very ordinary processes. So as I've said, fo- choosing where you focus your attention, you know, a n- bit of benefit finding or gratitude, noticing the good things that are in your life as well as knowing that, you know, there's some other stuff there too. Um, being able to create and sustain um, really meaningful, supportive relationships being able to communicate well with people when the chips are down and you need their help, you know, that is a really major aspect of resilience. So these are all very um, ordinary magic, and Marston calls them. She's one of the key researchers in this field. And Karen Rivich, another one, likes to talk about resilience as a stew. So it's a whole load of ingredients, and some of those ingredients you might be a little low on, and some of them you might be really topped up on and completely have nailed. But it's a question of just understanding all those different ingredients and what they look like in your life. Also, the research shows that actually most people have it within them to survive all kinds of um, potentially traumatic events just by relying on those ordinary processes. And I know that George Bonanna's research was important to you to rather than being told oh my gosh everything is really you are a high-risk candidate for all the things you don't want now instead you look at his research and it says um human beings are Mm. the 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 default setting for human beings is that most of us are resilient it's coping yeah Yeah. as i said to you at the beginning it doesn't mean that coping always looks pretty (laughs) it doesn't mean that i leap around every day feeling great all the time but it means that I, you know, mm-hmm. and we, I can yeah. continue to live even while I'm grieving. These strategies we've been discussing are very effective, but you've got to remember to use them. Wellbeing is not a spectator sport, is it? Yeah, yeah. You know, we really do. And that's hard work. And we have this funny notion, don't we, that everybody understands that you have to work on your um, physical well-being. So people understand that you need to keep physically fit. But... I don't think people still yet understand how being continuing to kick for the surface and, you know, find those flippers that enable you to be mentally fit takes ongoing practice and hard work. And sometimes I'll find that a strategy that I've kind of relied on in the past suddenly doesn't seem to be working for me as well. And, and, that, and that's backed up by the science too, isn't it, Denise? That yeah. we need to be changing our um, our strategies and practices around well-being. 
So Lucy, in terms of developing resilience, what are some of the key steps that we know actually really help people build resilience? Um, so I think one of the most important things is that you need to be flexible. Um, and I'm not talking yoga physically flexible. I'm talking um, some mental agility here. So you need to be able to accept that things will change and go with that change. Um, so particularly with students, I was thinking about this, that one of the things they need to understand is that failure and struggle is normal. And we also know that our resilience is built on our self-efficacy. And by that, I mean our confidence to get through whatever is facing us now is based on past experience. Drawing people's attention to what has worked for them in the past can be a real benefit. And as well, that's, yeah, as you're saying, that, that's building the self-efficacy, saying, look, you already know some of this stuff. Yeah. You've already done it before. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing um, is just understanding, you know, yourself. So knowing what really pushes your buttons, what really makes you fire up emotionally and trying to work out why that does so. And then having some strategies for calming yourself down in that moment. You know, I'm, um, I'm all for taking, you know, five big, deep breaths. And, um, and in the time that I do that, I know it gives my rational brain time to take over from my emotional brain. Okay, Lucy, we are coming to a close. And I just wanted to ask you two last questions. If you could only do one thing to, um, to support people's well-being for the rest of your life, what would it be? If I could only do one thing to support people, well, I mean, all of my work is about promoting population-level well-being. So giving people the tools to look after themselves, to better understand their well-being. Um, because it's, what works for me is different to what works for other people. Um, so really, I um, yeah, I, I'm I, I like writing about well-being. So you know, that's probably the thing I would continue to do. And then your own go-to strategy for boosting your own well-being when you're either really frustrated or down. What works best for you? Um, oh, so that is interesting, isn't it? Because most of the strategies that we do training with other people on are mental skills training. Um, but actually, for me, my go-to strategy um, for cheering myself up is taking the silly, twitty dogs for a walk um, because, you know, they're just the most brilliant well-being intervention ever. They are the epitome of mindfulness. You know, they're always so in that moment and they hoon around on the beach and they're idiotic and they make me laugh and they smile and make, they make me get outside. They make me do some exercise. I normally walk with my husband and the two silly dogs twice a day. Um, and that gives us time to go through things and talk, you know, to connect as well. So I think, you know, that's a, it's funny. Just walking those dogs means we're outside. We're getting some physical activity. We are strengthening our relationship. Um, we're laughing and we're, we're in beautiful outside space. Thanks for that, Lucy. And thanks as well for sharing your experience and your wisdom with us today. It's really been great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Denise. Thanks to Lucy for sharing her very personal resilience journey with us. She reminds us that simple strategies can be effective, even in the most challenging times. Strategies like looking for the silver lining on a grey day, finding things to be grateful for, or asking, is this helping or harming? As someone who has a tendency to procrastinate, I'm going to try asking that question when I find myself checking my email again instead of getting on with a task. 
Lucy also reminds us that well-being boosters can be as simple as getting outside, taking the dog for a walk, or catching up with a friend. I hope you can try some of these strategies this week and look after your well-being. You've been listening to Bringing Wellbeing to Life on ORFM Dunedin. If you'd like to listen to a podcast of this show, you can find it on or.org.nz or at nziwr.co.nz. I'm Dr. Denise Quinlan. Thank you for listening. This program has been brought to you by the New Zealand Institute of Wellbeing and Resilience. For more information on how schools, communities and workplaces can grow their well-being and resilience, go to nziwr.co.nz. Find out what's on in our city on ORFM's Dunedin Community Notice Board. Go to oar.org.nz and look for the link. You're one click away from up-to-date community event listings and you can post your own notices free of charge. This programme was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.